1: 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when he said, he said, God said to me, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly will will I therefore rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches. You know what he's saying? Bring them on. In reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. And here's the secret. For when I am weak, then am I strong. See, so God says to Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So what God was saying to Paul was that when you're totally weak, then I look at you and I say, perfect, perfect. Now I can give you my strength. When Paul was felt strong in himself, you know, God's, and when Paul was saying, I can, I can, I can, then God gets frustrated and he says, oh no, Paul's not weak. I can't make my strength perfect in Paul. And all of that's the secret behind the name Israel. So when a person is so weak and he decides to use all of his remaining strength just to cling to God, God says, Israel, Israel, that's Israel. Now I can make my strength perfect in him and he can have power with God and with men. That's how Jacob became strong. And this is what happened last week with a man named John. He's an Australian Jewish man, and John was like Jacob. He was like Jacob. He was strong in himself. He was strong in his own strength. John survived the Holocaust in Europe, and John, in his own strength, he came to America with nothing, and John, in his own strength, he worked hard, and and he graduated from Harvard, and in his own strength, he did all this in his own strength, and then he rose to the heights of intellectual elite He was a writer. He became an accomplished writer, and he wrote award-winning books like uh, Why Nations Go to War and From Holocaust to Harvard. And Henry Kissinger writes on his book here, John's deeply personal account of his journey from Nazi-occupied Austria to the heights of American intellectual establishment is thought-provoking and heart-wrenching. So all of John's life, he has been resistant to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's choosing to believe myths about the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe that the Nazis and Hitler were Christians. He chose that. And and why? Because John says, I don't need God. Because John was strong in himself. And if God tried to impose his will on John, John stubbornly resisted God. He fought with God. He was just like Jacob. He came to his own. And when God said to him, okay, now, Here's my will, He's no, he fights. But there was the time, there was the Peniel moment like it was for Jacob in Genesis 32 when John with all of his strength he was gone now, just like Jacob, he's in a state of weakness. He's in a hospital bed on the brink of going into hospice. And as John is told by someone in this room right now that God is Jehovah Jesus and that Jehovah Jesus came to earth and took on flesh and died for John's sins, then John, the fighter with God, suddenly becomes a clinger to God, and John asks the simple question, what can I do? What can I do? And when John was told, you can accept the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's inviting you to receive him as God and Savior And then John's asked the question, do you want to do that, John? And John nods and says, yes. And John the fighter becomes John the clinger to God as he received the Lord Jesus Christ. The loser, John the loser, became John the winner. Before John, he fought with God. He fought with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lost that battle. In his weakened state there in the hospital bed, he used all his strength just to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. He became an Israel. He became, God says, okay, now I can call you Israel. He became the winner. That was the fight with to the cling to change that happened to John. And that's what happened to Jacob in Genesis 32. That was where Jacob, with the, he changed from the fight with God to the cling to God. That was the great change. The fighter with God was just Jacob. That was his name. Just Oh, you're just Jacob. You're fighting with God, you're Jacob. Oh, Jacob, now you're clinging to God, you're Israel, you're Israel. So John's book now, you know, from from Holocaust to Harvard, it's got to be rewritten, yeah. from Holocaust to Harvard to hospice to heaven. <laughs> Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so when Jacob was Jacob, that's a funny thing to say, when Jacob was Jacob, you know, he's always Jacob. All right, when Jacob was Jacob, when he was the fighter with God, he taught his sons by his examples, you fight with God, you go your own way. You sing Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way. You go in your own strength, who needs God to rule your life? But when Jacob was an old man, then Jacob became Israel, the clinger to God. And he taught his son Joseph by his example, the son of his old age, you be a clinger to God. You be an Israel clinger to God. And when Jacob looked at his other sons, that he taught them and how he taught them to be, he says, oh, I see Jacob the fighter with God. But when he looked at Joseph and how he taught him in his life, he said, oh, I see Israel the clinger to God. And so that's why verse three is so significant in Genesis 30, 37, three, where it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. It doesn't say Jacob. It says Israel loved him. And we could restate it like this. Now Israel, the clinger to God, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. So Joseph was the son of Jacob as an old man, and that was when he was crowned with the name Israel. And so Joseph would hear Jacob say to him, he say to him, son, the most important activity you can do in life is to know God and cling to him. Don't let him go. And after, just hear him saying to Joseph, Joseph, after I became a clinger to God, I saw God. And I saw God. I actually named this place because I saw God. I called this place Peniel, which means face of God, because I saw God face to face. And when I saw God face to face, I got life. My life was preserved, as he said in Genesis 32, 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I had seen God face to face, and my life was preserved. That's why Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was a son of his old age. And then Jacob, he chose this special way that he was gonna show his love for Joseph more than all his children. I mean, can't you just picture Jacob? He's sitting there, he's planning it out in his mind and he's saying to himself, I love Joseph so much. I mean, how can I make a statement to everybody how much I love Joseph than all my other children? I mean, what's the best way for me to show my personal special love for Joseph? I know, a coat, a coat, not just any coat. Oh, no. (laughs) Special coat, rich coat, luxurious coat, rich materials, many colors. And it'll be a coat. I'm going to make this coat. I'm going to go out there and select those materials that I'm going to use. I'm going to meticulously cut each piece of those materials. I'm going to sew every piece of those materials. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful coat. you know. And as we think of Jacob here, thinking this thing through and planning this coat and imagining it, then we can see in our imagination, Jacob making the coat. And we see all this meaning behind verse three. He made him a coat of many colors. I mean, this is the way Jacob shows his special love for Joseph. Jacob shows a special love for Joseph by making this special coat for Joseph. You know, a normal coat, it's a piece of cloth. You got a hole cut out in the top. That's where the head goes. Gets sewed up the sides. There you go. That's your coat. Next. Okay, (laughs) and that was a normal coat. That was a normal coat, and no sleeves. What do you need sleeves for? They just get in your way. You're supposed to work hard, you know. Down to the ankles, you'll trip on it. You know, that's that's your coat. Okay, but the Hebrew words that are used here to describe Joseph's coat indicates that this coat had sleeves down to the wrists. This coat went down to the ankles. This was some coat all handmade for Joseph with the loving care of his father, Jacob. I mean, what a scene of that, you know? So Joe, you know, what if I saw that, like I do tonight, you need a coat. <laughs> that shirt's too loud, you need a coat. No, what if I <laughs> What if I say to Joe, hey, Joe, you need a coat. You know what I did for you, Joe? I went down to the Burlington Coat Factory <laughs> and I said, Joe, here's the coat I bought for you you know and joe says did you make it no the label says that someone in pakistan made it you know <laughs> okay but if i set up a table in the front of the creation museum and i spend my time making that coat for joe and everyone could see me making the coat it means so much more to joe because it was personally made by joe what's the most famous scene that we have in the bible of a father making coats for his children what that's it it's God, the Father, making coats for Adam and Eve. Hey, in Genesis 3.21, unto Adam, also unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Oh, what words are those? Whoa. Now, how can we possibly imagine something like that? You know, Genesis 3.21, unto Adam, to his the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them? You imagine that when Adam gets that coat, and Anna can say, Adam can stand up and say, And can it be that thou, my God, should make a coat for me? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, can, can you imagine the angels looking and saying to themselves, you know, they're saying something like, you know, 1 John 3 1, Behold, what manner of love God hath bestowed upon man that he himself should make coats for man and clothe them? So when we read that God made coats for his children, it causes us to come into this question of Psalm 8. Psalm 8 verse three, it's this question. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, what's man? What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? You know these words like thou art mindful, thou visitest him. What's so striking us is to consider this personal involvement. You know, it wasn't somebody in Pakistan to make the coat. You know, if I made the coat. And it was God who made the coat. That's how God loves. He loves with a personal involvement. And what strikes us so much in Genesis 33 is this word he. He, Jacob, he made him a coat of many colors. It was Jacob loving Joseph with this personal involvement. And can't you imagine Joseph, he's wearing that coat. After he makes it and he's stroking with it, he's not impressed with the beauty, but dad made this coat for me. It's nice, dad made this coat for me. And what a scene of Joseph stroking the coat and saying, dad made this coat especially for me. With all dad has to do to run this big household here, I'm just one of his 12 sons. Why should God care and love me so specially? Why should he make this coat for me? What scene, you know, Adam and Eve and stroking their coats of skins and say, God made these coats especially for us. He made this coat especially for me. With all God has to do in keeping his great creation operating, why should God care? Why should God care if, if we needed coats to cover the shame of our nakedness, as he said? I mean, why should God make the coats himself? Why didn't he have somebody in Pakistan or an angel make the coats for us? Why should God clothe us? Why should he sit there and says, now stand still while I put this coat on you? And as we look at Joseph, we look at Adam and Eve, you know, and asking those questions, it brings us to ask some questions about ourselves. Why should Jehovah Jesus care that you and I have sinned? Why should he care? Why should he care that we are in need of an atonement covering for our sins, an atonement coat, something to cover our sins? Why should he care? You know, we're coming up, Reminder, next Sunday is going to be Rosh Hashanah, the new year. Then following will be Yom Kippur. The word means day of covering. You could call it a day of coat. It's a day of covering. Why should Jehovah Jesus care? Why should Jehovah Jesus himself come to earth, be so abused, suffer so much, die this horrible, shameful death on the cross, be buried and rise again just to become our coat? just to become our atonement that we needed for our sins. But Jehovah Jesus did, and all that is brought to mind when we read what Jacob did for Joseph, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when Joseph wore that coat, oh man, it just spoke of his choice. God chose me, you know, and that was so wonderful. And we'll read about Jacob making a coat of many colors for Joseph. You know, you can't read something like that without, without thinking about the Lord Jesus. You know, the Lord Jesus wore a coat. He wore a coat that showed the Father has chosen me, the Father has preserved me, the Father loves me. You know what that coat was? It was his miracles. When he did those miracles, people said, whoa, he's special. And this happened in Matthew 12, 13, where it says, where there's this man, he's got a withered hand. Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. He stretches it forth, it's restored whole like the other. Then the Pharisees went out, they held a council again him, how they might destroy him. When his brothers, when Joseph's brothers saw how much Jacob loved him, they hated him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from death. Great multitudes followed him. And then it says that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, behold my servant whom I have chosen. Look at him there with that coat of doing those miracles, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. There stands the Lord Jesus, just like Joseph. And there stood a man with a withered hand, a man with a withered hand. And there stood the Pharisees, just like Joseph's brothers. And he heals them. He's wearing the coat. He's wearing the coat. And God says, that's a fulfillment. I chose him. I'm so happy with him. Now, You read about all this, we read about all this, the coat that Jacob made for for Joseph with the many colors, you think about God making the coats for Adam and Eve, and God made a coat for us. That's an amazing thing. You know, it's a, God looks us over and he sees the need we have for clothing. This is a clothing for our souls. And he says, like he says to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.17, he says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How could there be such a disconnect? How could God says you're naked and how could they be like the emperors with his new clothes which were no clothes? How could that be possible? But then God says, you don't know, but I know. You don't see, but I see. You're naked. I counsel thee to buy of gold and me, tried in the fire that mayest be rich. White raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. So he looks at them, God looks at them, and he says, look, you think you're well clothed? You're naked. I say, yes, naked. You know, I see the shame of your nakedness. I see how much you really do need clothing. You need a clothing, come to me. Come to me, I'll give you white raiment, white, you'll be clothed. Shame of your nakedness not gonna appear. What's the clothing that we need? What's he talking about, the clothing? What clothing? This is soul clothing, soul clothing. You know, 1 Peter 3, it speaks about that. Who's adorning, speaking, who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, clothing, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in the which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet Spirit, which is in the sight of God of of great price. Oh, that's really nice. God sees we need clothing. What kind of clothing? We need a clothing of a meek and quiet spirit. What's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of a meek and quiet spirit? It's an in-your-face. That's the opposite. In-your-face, loud, proud, boasting spirit. So the first clothing that God says we need, he says you need a clothing of a meek and a quiet spirit. And then he speaks of another Clothing. He speaks of another clothing in First Peter five five. First Peter five five. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. So, what's God saying? He says you need the clothing of humility. See, right after the need for the clothing of humility, we're told that now you have responsibility. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. You know what speaks about being clothed with humility? And then it says, humble yourselves. That means that we have to put that clothing on. We have to put it on. Humble yourself. You know, we think about humility. Some people think that humility has something to do with how I think of myself. Some people think that humility has something to do with how you think of yourself, how we think of ourselves. Some people think that humility is thinking less and less and lower and lower of ourselves. Some people think that, right? But thinking less of ourselves is still thinking about ourselves. That's self-consciousness. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is thinking less about ourselves. That's what humility is. Humility is being less self-conscious. Humility is being more God-conscious. called Humility is thinking less about ourselves and thinking more about God. And so, but we don't do that. We're naturally not like. We don't like to put on that clothing of humility. We like to think of ourselves. We don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I want to wear humility today. I want to humble myself. I want to think less about myself. I want to think more about God. That's not what we do. And so God says, well, you need a little assistance. You need a little help in this department. You got to want to humble yourself. So God comes in with his assistance to help us so that we put on the right clothing, the humility. He has ways. He has a mighty hand. He can bring that down. That helps. And God does this only because he loves us. He loves us and he wants us to wear good clothing, wants us to look good. You know, just like the man. Think of this scene. The man who turns to his wife in the morning before he leaves home and says, how do I look? (laughs) <laughs> he thinks he looks great. Knowest thou not <laughs> that thou art rich? No, he thinks he looks really great. And he comes to his wife and he says, how do I look in these clothes? How do I like? Tell me honestly. You picture the scene of the husband coming to his wife in the morning before he leaves home and he asks and her, how do I look in these clothes? Now, now, I just want you to freeze that scene. Freeze that scene in your minds because that's what we should do every morning in our morning devotions. That's why morning devotions are so important because it's before you go out. And that's why morning devotion times are so important because it's that picture of the husband asking his wife how he looks that we need to repeat in asking the Lord every morning. Every morning in our devotion time, we should say to the Lord, how's my soul look this morning? How do I look? How do I look before I go out today? How do I look today? And God in his great love, he's going to be honest. And he's going to tell us how we really look with the soul clothing we're wearing. And if we don't do that, you know, if we don't even ask our wives, you know, we don't do that. Then, you know, in our devotion time, God, like our wives, will get this pained look on his face and say, You're not really going to go out wearing that today, are you? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I am married to you. You kind of reflect on me, you know? You're not going to do that, are you? You're not going to go out looking like that, are you? Please tell me you're not. <laughs> Why? Because your soul clothes, you look terrible. You look terrible clothed in that suit of pride and arrogance. It's terrible. Just look at that terrible clothing that you have on, the selfishness, the seeking, the personal wealth. You look terrible in the clothes. You you got those rags of worry and anxiety over the future all over you. You're not going to go out like that, are you? Pained look. You're not really going to go out today looking like that, are you? You reflect on me. I'm your God. I'm your wife. And the sensitive soul will say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know I looked so bad. Okay, I'll change my clothing. Okay, I'll change my soul clothing. All right. And we turned to God and we said, what should I put on? He says, oh, I'm glad you asked. I got a wardrobe here for you. Romans 13, 11. You're gonna look good. I guarantee it. And he says in Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we flee. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off. The works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, drunkenness, not in chambering, wantonness, strife, envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So when we turn to God and ask Him, you know, this question, He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. God will say, You still wearing those clothes, those night clothes? The sin and the strife, cast them off. Take them off. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. Or, for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on youtube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.